thanks again to the worship team for leading us today. It's a blessing to just have that time of worship for us. So today, um, I need to begin uh, with an apology because... So um, I'm trying to be better at this teaching thing. And so one of the things that they say to do uh, to get better at teaching is to listen to yourself teach, which is really tough to do, to be honest, because... I mean, you start off and your voice just is just weird. It just sounds wrong. And it's just not the way it sounds in here when it comes out of the speakers. Um, and so this last week I, I flicked on, um, well, okay, so long as I'm doing a confession, I'll confess to more than what I was planning. To be honest, I wasn't doing it to uh, listen to myself become a better teacher. I was trying to listen to the jokes that I told to see if they really were all that funny. And, uh, so... Yeah, so um, so then so, so the, the podcast began, and if you recall, I don't know if you recall, but last week I started the podcast, someone in the crowd who will remain nameless said, so we're saying everything we say, you know, can be heard on the podcast, and I responded by saying, um, you know, people aren't here to hear you, they're here to hear me, and when I heard that come out of my mouth, I just thought, oh my goodness, that's really shouldn't be the reason any of you are here at church, is to hear me. Um, and so I really do want to sincerely say that that was not a good thing for me to say. Um, hopefully you're here to hear God's word and to hear from him. And uh, so I, I have already learned a good lesson in listening to myself, and I have plenty more to learn, just so you guys know. Um, and on that note, I'm always open to feedback. Like, if you guys ever heard something like that, you would be more than welcome to come and talk to me afterwards. And I would be encouraged that I knew that there were people who cared enough to um, give me feedback and uh, help us to pursue Christ with one another. So that's also the sermon topic for today, is this idea of pursuing Christ together. Um, but before we get started, let me pray over our time in the Word here. Father, I thank you for even just the illumination that you gave me this past week, and you know that before you, I have repented in earnest, and I repent again before these um, students, these brothers and sisters in Christ, that this time is for you, and it's a time when all of us come under your word with a longing to be taught and edified and encouraged and humbled and convicted, um, and it is not about any man other than the man Jesus Christ. And so we pray that today you would do that work, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your word has to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we talked about this idea of working out your salvation. You guys see we got this suffer, strive, rejoice, and shine. And um, we talked about how we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, don't grumble and complain, and then we talked about shining as lights to the world. And... After this passage, we get to a passage in the book of Philippians where Paul kind of talks a little bit about himself, talks a little bit about Timothy, and talks a little bit about this guy named Epaphroditus. And it's probably a passage that, you know, most pastors, when they are trying to decide where they should preach on a Sunday morning out of the book of Ephesians, if they had one sermon, this wouldn't be the passage that they would teach on because it seems kind of like it's just like an update, you know? It's just saying, I'm sending Timothy, here's Epaphroditus. And it's hard to see what's the point. Why is Paul telling us all of this? And yet, by God's grace, as I you know, meditated on it and read some commentaries, people really smart, smarter than me 
um, I really felt like there is a message here for us that's a really important message that we would really miss out on something if we didn't look at this text for today. And so the question I want to ask with, begin with is this question. How does God intend us to work out our salvation? How does he intend us to work out our salvation? Have you ever heard these ideas? Just listen to these and think, have you heard this? The decision to follow Jesus is a personal decision. You ever heard that? Does that sound right? Okay, it's a personal decision that each person must make on their own. Would we agree with that? I think in general we could say, yeah, it is a personal decision. Nobody can make that decision for you, right? And, and I think what we're getting at when we say that is we, we're getting at just because your mom and dad are Christians doesn't make you one. That was an idea that was very foreign in a lot of places in the world, especially in Jerusalem. My students, they were all Muslims, they were all Christians, or they were all Jews because of mom and dad. That's how they knew what they were. And I, when I told them my kids aren't Christians, they were like, that's crazy talk, Mr. Nick. Of course your kids are Christians. You're a Christian, your kids are Christian. I told them, no, they're not. My kids are not Christians because we believe this. We believe that you must decide on your own to follow Jesus, that it's not just a religion you're born into. Have you ever heard the phrase, you must make your faith your own? Okay, same sort of idea, right? Just because mom and dad are you know, believers, because you go to church, because you do Christian things, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Okay? You have, there's an element where you have to do something on your own. It has to be part of who you are. And so these are definitely true. But where we can get mixed up is we can think that because these are true, the Christian life is one that we do on our own. That that's what it means to work out our salvation. There is an old... Uh, campaign for advertising to get people to join the army and the advertising campaign was based on the theme an army of one okay and so i went back on youtube and watched a couple of these and yeah it's like a one soldier and it shows him you know marching up a mountain and it's talking about join the u.s army and it's this idea of like it's an army of one like it all like we are all and they do talk about you know we work together but it's like each man is his own army and sometimes we can think about the christian life like that like Working out your salvation just means it's you and God and everybody else, right? And it's just, you've got to work it out on your own. But is that really the case? Is that really what God, you know, when you decide to make Jesus your own, to follow him on your own, does God really expect it like, all right, now it's just you and me, and you've got to work it out all by yourself. And I think this passage for us in chap uh, chapter 2 of Philippians is going to help us to better understand that that is not the case. So, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 15 in just a minute here. And there's a little bit of overlap from last week, and you'll see why in just a minute. So as you're opening up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, I already told you we're talking about three people today. We're talking about Paul... Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And as we look at each of these people, we're going to see that we get a really helpful picture of how the church, and not just the church, how a youth group, how Axis, how this group right here should function. Because when we look at Paul, we have the leader, right? We have a pastor of the church. And then we look at Timothy, and Timothy is like under Paul. He's another leader of the church. He's Paul's helper. And then we have Epaphroditus, who is just a normal church member. And that's kind of what you've got in a church. You've got the pastor, the, the head of the church, the leader. Christ is the head of the church, but he's the, you know, he appoints this leader. You've got 
other leaders underneath him, and then you've got the other members of the church. And so the first thing we want to do is we're going to look at the person, Paul, after we read the first part here. So we have Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that's where we let off last week. But that's not the end of the sentence. So you're shining as lights of the world, holding fast to the word of life. And here's what, remember, Paul is speaking. So Paul says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So here's Paul. He's giving a commandment to the Philippians. Do this. And then he puts a little motivation there for them. And he says, here's why you should do this, okay? Now, as we think about Paul, let's think for just a second, what is Paul's main concern as a pastor? Let's ask the question a little bit bigger. What should be the main concern of any pastor? What do you think? What should be the main concern of any pastor? Yeah. Um, is preach the word to everyone else. Okay, preach the word to everyone else. Good. And everyone else is listening. So... Okay, good. So maybe teach in a way so that people will listen and understand and hear what you're saying, okay? His congregation. All right. What about his congregation? Like, so his main concern should be the people in front of him, right? Is that what you're saying? Yep. Okay. Yeah, these are all definitely on track. We want to, you know, the pastor should preach the word. He should want them, you know, his congregation. Um, and so let's think about Paul. Paul's main concern, he actually tells us in here, but Paul is all about building up the church, isn't he? That's why he's traveling all over the place. He's all about the gospel. He's all about bringing people to understand Jesus and to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. But think about it for a second. If Paul worked his whole life and he got all these people to follow Jesus for a little time and then they all stopped following Jesus when Paul died, do you think Paul was, would have said he accomplished his goal in life? No, right? For most people, when they look at their life's goal, okay, whether you're like an inventor, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, you, you would hope that what you poured your whole life into would keep going when you died, right? That there would be some lasting impact. And if everything just came crumbling down when you died, you would kind of feel like a waste. And Paul is saying that same thing. Paul is saying that his life work is to pour into this church not just so that they'll follow Jesus for a little bit, but so that they'll follow him all the way to the end of their life and Paul will see them in heaven. That's what he's saying right here. Let's look here. Paul says he wants them to do all this stuff, don't grumble, complain, hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Jesus, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Okay? What's the day of Jesus or the day of Christ? You know what day he's talking about there? In the Bible, when we come across this, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus, what are we talking about, Noel? Judgment day, that's right. So here Paul is fast-forwarding to the end. And he's saying, please, when we all die, when we're all at this judgment day, I need to see that you are also in heaven with me. Otherwise, Paul's life, it's, it's like he's been running this race, he's been working so hard, and it's all in vain, and it's all wasted. If these Philippians don't follow Jesus to the end, if they don't make it to heaven. So Paul's goal, his one desire, is to see the Philippians 
come to the end of their life, followers of Jesus, and join him in heaven. And it's not only his one desire, um, we also see what he's willing to give in order to see this desire accomplished. Look at verse 17. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Okay, and so there's this old thing in the Old Testament where they had different kinds of offerings at the temple, and one was a drink offering, and they'd take you know, the drink, they'd pour it out. And Paul's saying, even if my life looks like this cup that's full at one point, and everything I have it is poured out so that you will still have faith at the end, I want it. It's worth it to me. I so long to see you in heaven that I'm willing to give everything that I am to see you in heaven. Okay, so that's what Paul is saying here. So what he's not saying is that the number one goal of a pastor should be to write a bestseller, right? A lot of pastors write books, they're really good books. John Piper has like 800 of them. And I I read once that Rick Warren, who wrote this book called The uh, Purpose Driven Life, after he wrote that book, he got so much money from that book, and the man is incredibly generous, that he paid back his salary to the church for like all the years he'd been working for the church. He gave his salary back to the church, and he tithed 90% of his, like he had so much money that he could live on 10% and tithe 90% of his money. The complete opposite of what most of us do is tithe 10% and live on 90%. I mean, that's how much was coming in from this book. And so a lot of pastors, you know, would love to be a bestseller, um, but more importantly, they would love to write books that people read because they can know about Christ, but that's not the purpose of being a pastor. It's not the purpose of a pastor to become famous and be on TV shows. It's not the purpose to preach sermons that everyone likes and they, they talk really well of you and they say, oh, have you been to this church? This pastor's really good. It's not the purpose of a pastor to have the biggest group, whether it's a youth group or a, a congregation. It's not the purpose of a youth pastor to have the best Wednesday night games and like pizza every week and things that get people really excited to come. It's not the purpose of a youth pastor to have the best projector, although, you know, that'd be great and we hope to have a better one soon. Um, or I don't know if you've been to a church that has cafes, you know, you've got this cool little ca- coffee shop there and, or to have the most visitors come to their church. This is not what the pastor should really want as his number one Desire, his number one desire, the thing that he's willing to put all of his energy into, should be to see his congregation in heaven at the end of time. So, as your youth pastor, this is my calling. When I read this text, it's a very personal thing for me to read what Paul says here. And to know that this is the standard that I have to live up to. That I have to live up to a standard that says, my one desire in life is to see you guys in heaven someday. And that I am willing to be poured out to give everything that I am in order to see that happen. So how does that apply to you? Isn't this just a passage for me? Well, it applies to you in this way. Uh, If we go to the next slide, let's ask this question. How can you help your pastor do, do his job well? If you know that my job is to see you in heaven, how can you make my job easier? Well, the first thing you can do is you need to be understanding that this is my goal in life, that this is my job. And so you have to understand that we can't have pizza and game night every Wednesday. Yeah, it's fun. Pizza's great. Games are fun. Did you notice how much we talked about the Bible? We didn't, right? We prayed over the food, and that was about it, and that's okay sometimes. 
But there's a reason that we're not going to, access isn't going to be about pizza and game night. There's a lot more that we need to delve into. You need to understand why we probably aren't going to go to these huge beach bash summer retreats. You guys, I don't even know if you know these exist. I know they exist because I get mailings every week saying, you're a youth pastor, you need to bring your group here. And the advertisement is always, we've got a beach, we've already got speakers who are going to do all the work for you, so you as a youth pastor don't have to do any work, and you just get to hang out and have fun, okay? And it sounds great, but the only problem is, it's my job to make sure that you guys get into heaven, and so if I take that job seriously... I'm not doing a very good job if I see that it says, you don't have to do anything as the youth pastor, and I say, yes, that sounds like a great plan. I don't have to teach the kids, I don't have to do, I mean, do you see the problem there? If that's really my job is to make sure you're in heaven, I'm just going to let someone else do all the hard work? So that's probably why we're not going to do this. We're, we're probably going to have some retreats um, where we may just go to a cabin up in Wisconsin, or we may go to someone's house uh, nearby in the area with our Bibles, okay? And some of us, that might not sound like the flashiest retreat, but if my goal is to make sure that you're in heaven and to study God's word with you and make sure we understand it and believe it and follow it, you have to understand that that's why we don't always do the big, the bang, the flashy, because that's not really my job. My job is to make sure that you make it into heaven. And if you, you have to understand why, you know, maybe the church doesn't pour as much money into the youth program as you'd like. You know, you, I, I look up ideas uh, for youth ministry, and a lot of times I pull up videos, and they've got a lot of youth groups have the big, like, warehouse filled with lights and drums and uh, sumo suits, and, like, what are those big round balls that you can, like, go in them? You're like little gerbil balls. I mean, those look awesome, and of course my mind is, how do I get one of those for access? Because that would be so cool. But... You have to understand that that's not the main goal of our group. The main goal is to make sure that you guys get into heaven. The second thing is, you can help me do my job well by being willing to meet with me. Okay, so when I try to get in touch with you, um, or I try to come hang out with you, uh, just consider for a minute that my goal in doing that might be a little bit more important than me hanging out with my friends on that day. Okay, now I'm not saying that you, you know, drop everything and do whatever I ask you to do. I totally understand life is busy. I totally understand that sometimes you have to cancel. And I don't want anyone to feel like they can never plan anything because they're afraid to cancel with me. Um, and I also understand that your family comes first. If something comes up with your family, I would prefer that you're with them. Um, but just know that if I'm trying to get in touch with you, it's important, okay? You should want to meet with me because... My ultimate desire in getting together with you is to encourage you so that you can make it into heaven. Um, and when I get together with you, you should expect me to ask you questions, real questions. Not just talk about, you know, how was your day, how is this, okay, yep, see you later. You should expect your pastor, when he meets with you, to say, how is life really going? Are you struggling with any sin in your life? How can I pray for you in that? And know that my goal in asking those questions is to really know your heart so that I can really encourage you in a way that will lead to you going to heaven. It's never to judge someone. It's never to make them feel bad about who they are. Guys, if you want to know about sin, I am an incredible sinner. I'm really good at it, actually. 
and I've been trying to fight it for 30 years, longer, okay? So about 20 years, 25 years longer than some of you, all right? No, that math was wrong. 15 years longer than a lot of you, okay? And so if you think your pastor is super holy, you know, some people have that, don't think that. Think, my pastor has 15 more years of experience being a sinner than I do, okay? And I do. And, and so I want to just encourage you in our fight against sin. And so don't see questions as like, oh, my pastor's always trying to pry into my private life. No, I'm trying to get down deep into what's really in your heart so that I can encourage you in your walk with Jesus. And last, you can help me do my job better by calling me, okay? So I know that you guys have struggles. You guys have questions. You have things that are on your mind. And you think, man, if I could just talk to someone about this, I would be happy to talk to you about things. So that's why, get out your phones. Next point. Is there a next point? That's my phone number. Okay? So for serious, get out your phones and put me in your phone so that you can actually apply this. So many of you are not getting out your phones right now, and I'm kind of hurt. I'm just going to leave that there for a minute. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Now, as you're writing that down, just a quick uh, thing here. This doesn't mean, while I totally love you guys and I totally mean everything I just said, this doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to always drop every single thing that I have going on and run over to see you the second you call me because God has also given me the job of being a husband and be tomorrow or next week. Um, but do know that I really do want to be a part of your life and help you in your walk with the Lord. So point number one, help your pastor do his job well. Okay, so now let's go to the second part of the passage. And we're going to look at this guy, Timothy. So Paul says, he just finished saying, all, you know, I hope that you spend your whole life, um, or I've spent my whole life trying to get you into heaven, and I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So, Paul is writing to a church he loves very much. His one desire is for them to get to heaven. But, where's Paul? Paul's in prison, right? So, Paul can't come and see the church. Paul is aware that he can't do it all. He can't do everything. He's in prison, awaiting judgment, 800 miles away from the church, assuming he's in Rome. So he says he's sending Timothy to help him. And so why is he sending Timothy? Well, he hopes that Timothy will do a couple of things. Verse number 19, he says, I send him to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So he's hoping Timothy will go get news and, from the Philippians and bring it back to Paul. Okay? He also knows that in sending Timothy, he's not just sending anyone, he's sending someone who is just as concerned about the Philippians as he is. So he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The word here, genuinely concerned, it actually, in the, it's better translated, one-souled. Timothy is one-souled with me in his concern for you as a church. It's like we share the same soul, both longing to see you in heaven. So he's sending someone who's very concerned about the church, and he's sending someone who it says, 
has proven his worth. Verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. So Timothy is a proven leader. Okay? They know that he is going to care about them in the way that Paul cares about them. Now our situation in access is actually quite similar because I can't do everything. That's something I've been made very aware of very early on. While I would love to have one-on-one conversations with every single one of you, okay, assuming I did a couple of them a week, it would take me over a year just to have one conversation with each person. And you don't really go deep very fast talking to someone deeply once a year, do you? Okay, so I need help. And so we have this awesome thing called the youth leadership team. All right, so we have a number of people who are part of a team here who are also here to care about you and your salvation. So they're willing enough to care about you to ask you tough questions. Okay, they're here for the same reason I am. And when they hear news of you, maybe one of you is struggling, you're wrestling with sin, you're wrestling with doubts, they tell me, and I ask them to tell me about it so that I can know, just like Paul wanted Timothy to bring news back about the Philippians. And I pray that they are genuinely concerned for your welfare, that they are one-souled with me, that we two together have one heart in wanting to see you guys in heaven. And while we're still growing as a team, I can tell you right now, that they have already, in so many ways, proven their worth as servants to you as a group. For example, they meet on Friday nights to discuss how we can better serve you and pray for you. Okay, Once a month, we get together on a Friday night. Some of you are like, <gasps> Friday night. How could you even do that on a Friday night? All right? We have so many plans on a Friday night. And they do it. They come on Friday nights, and we pray for you guys. We think about how can we better serve you? How can we get you to better understand the gospel and come to follow Jesus better. They come early to meetings. They stay late. They help clean up. They express their concerns for you. Okay, when I began as my new job here, I sat down with each of the leaders and asked them what they wanted to see happen in this group. And each one of them has genuine concern for each one of you. They want to see you grow. They want to see you come to follow Jesus better. They've paid for things out of their own pockets. They've missed opportunities with friends in order to be here. So they have proven that they want to be a part of this group. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? Well, you need to entrust yourself to the youth leadership team. And so here's all their phone numbers. So get out your phones again. Look at that. They're all right there. It's a real deal. Or snapshot. Snapshot. Just take a picture of it. That'd be easy. Not Snapchat, not not Snapchat. Okay, so, I mean, maybe a good place to start is your small group leader, okay? So you've got your small group leader, and you're really wrestling with something. Maybe you're a girl, and you're like, man, I don't really want to talk to a guy about this. Good, you know, that's fine. Call your small group leader. Call Maggie, call Sonia, call Carrie, call whoever's in charge of your small group and say, can I talk to you about something that you know, I'm struggling with? And I can tell you right now that each one of these people would really be not just open to you calling, but super excited if you picked up the phone and called because that's not something that we're very good at in this culture, in this age, is, is calling and asking for help or just even wanting to have a deeper relationship with someone who's older and wiser than us. And so this would be a great thing for you to do. So Timothy sent to the people, um, just like we've got you guys have the youth leadership team sent to you in order to minister to you. 
So the last example that we have is we have Epaphroditus, okay? So as we look at the next passage here, Paul then talks about a guy named Epaphroditus. He says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Paul is a pastor who loves the church. He wants to see them in heaven. He's sending Timothy, who also loves the church, wants to see him in heaven. And now he's sending Epaphroditus. And so who is this? Epaphroditus, he's just like one of you guys. He's a regular church member. Okay, so you've got the leader, you've got people underneath the leader, and then you've got the regular church members. And I want to look at the example of Epaphroditus because he has three defining characteristics that makes him so cool when it comes to being a normal church leader. Okay, so the first is that Epaphroditus is a member of the Philippian church who's ready to serve the church. We see that they've got this gift together for Paul who's in prison and they need someone to take it and either he volunteered or he was chosen, either way, he said, yeah, I'll take the gift to Paul. Which when you think about 800 miles on foot, that's a big commitment, right? That's six week walk. Six weeks, a month and a half. I'm gonna take a month and a half off work in order to walk to Rome to bring a gift to Paul to encourage him. And so he's ready to serve the church and you can think about it, he's ready to serve his pastor, isn't he? Then we have, he's ready to sacrifice for the church because on the walk, what happens? He gets deathly ill, okay? He would have known going into this that there were lots of dangers involved in walking for six weeks from Philippi to Rome. And so he was willing to take that risk and he took the risk and he had to sacrifice because he got so sick that he nearly died. And what's crazy about this is even in these circumstances, Epaphroditus cared more about the church than about himself. I want to read this line to you that was just on that passage. He says this. It says, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all, and listen to how crazy this is, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus is almost dead, and he's worried that the Philippian church is worrying about him because he's almost dead. And he's more concerned that the church is worried and, and sad because he, they heard he was suffering than that he's almost dead. And this is the heart that we get in Epaphroditus, that he, he's ready to serve the church, he's ready to sacrifice for the church, and he cares more about the church than he does about himself. And the result of Epaphroditus' service is that he encourages his pastor, he honors God, and let this, think about this for a second, he blesses billions of people through his service. Well, how did he bless billions of people? Well, what did he do when he came back? He brought a letter. He brought a letter to the Philippian church, a letter that is the one that we're studying. So if Epaphroditus hadn't gone to Paul, there wouldn't have been someone to deliver this letter to the Philippian church. We would be missing a book in our Bible. And this is a book that's filled with grace, the understanding that we need to be a unified church, that we need to be humble, okay? What the gospel is, the picture of Jesus is the picture of humility. And so all of this would have been lost if it weren't for Epaphroditus. So we need students in this group 
who are willing to become like Epaphroditus because I can't reach everyone. Even the youth leadership team isn't going to reach everyone. We need students who are willing to serve and sacrifice and are more concerned about the people around them than about themselves. And so what does this look like? Well, it means that when you come to church, you don't just come to get stuff, but you actually come to give. You ask yourself, how can I use my gifts to encourage this group? When you plan something where you want to invite people over, you don't just think, who are my best friends at church? You maybe think, gee, I wonder if I could invite everyone from my small group. And then you might even think, hey, I have a car, and I know that these guys don't drive yet. Maybe I can go pick them up and drive them to the event. You know, my brother was great at this. I was part of a youth group, and my brother, he would call people up and he'd be like, hey, are you coming to hang out with us? And he'd always call the people who were new to the group, didn't know anybody, and they'd say, ah, no, I can't. He'd say, well, why can't you? I got something else going on. He's like, do you need a ride? Well, I don't really have a car. Okay, where do you live? Okay, and he would go and he would drive around, pick everybody up, bring them to the party, the Friday night hangout, whatever it was, and he'd drive them all home. And that's how our group became so unified because there were people who were willing to sacrifice what they wanted to do, sacrifice time, sacrifice gas money in order to serve one another. And you guys know that our group is different on Sundays than it is on Wednesdays, right? And so we have a number of kids coming in on Wednesdays who don't attend Sundays, their families aren't part of the church, and they do kind of stand on the edges, okay? And they need someone to grab them and pull them in and say, hey, come sit with us, come hang out with us. And not like, yeah, I guess you can stand near us, but we're actually going to talk to you. And we're going to ask you what's going on and say, hey, this is going on this weekend, we're doing this, do you want to be a part of it? So we need students who are willing to be Epaphroditus to this group. So in hindsight, when we look at this passage, we see that it gives us a clear description of all of our roles in access. It tells us what each one of us should be striving to do. I, as the pastor, should be doing everything in my power to teach you about Jesus and to make sure that one day you're in heaven. The leadership team should be like-minded. They should be one-souled with me and be doing what they can to encourage you to also follow Jesus. And you... You should be like-minded. You should be looking around at your friends and the people that are new, and you should be thinking, what can I do to encourage them to be a part of the group so that we all together can pursue getting to heaven? And so the big idea that I want us to take away is this. When we're told to work out our salvation, we aren't supposed to do it as an army of one. The Christian life is not an army of one. Our pursuit of heaven has to be done in community. It has to be my goal, it has to be the leader's goal, it has to be your goal, all working together with the one hope that we will one day, on Judgment Day, see each other in heaven. And so as we go today, think about these two questions. What can I do to let other people help me get to heaven? What can I do to make my pastor's job easier? What can I do to make my small group's leader's job easier so we can get to heaven together? And second question, what can I do to help others get to heaven? The way Paul says it earlier in the past in the book is this. In chapter 1, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We should be striving side by side the faith of the gospel so that one day we are all in heaven together. Let's pray that we be a group that does that. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a group that strives side by side for one another's faith. 
and that, Lord, you would do the fruit of um, bringing those who are on the fringe of our group into the core of our group, that you would allow us to have hearts that are sacrificial, willing to be poured out for one another so that we might strive together for the sake of the gospel um, and one day worship you together in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. See you guys on Wednesday, small groups, and I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday.